Welcome to Blue Water Mission. My name is Jordan. Aloha. I like to be very welcoming, so I want to start today's sermon by asking you a question. Why are you here? You're here to go to church. Captain obvious. To praise God. I, that, that, sounds, that sounds spiritual and stuff. I like that. That's good. You, you work here. That's how you make your living. If you don't show up, Jordan gets mad at you and stuff. Excellent. So you just taste the inspiration in the air today. Why, why are you here? Fellowship. I heard fellowship. It is the proper rhythm for grown-ups. Reading the sermon series title off the big screen. All right, brown noser. Um, um, well, let, me, let me flip that a little bit. How many of you are here just because it's Sunday morning? How many of you are here just because it's Sunday morning? Let me, I mean, let me see your hand. How many of you are just because it's Sunday morning? How many of you are here because it's Sunday morning? All right, you guys win. You're the grown-ups. Congratulations. It was a little bit of a trick question, wasn't it? Uh, how many are, let me, let me phrase it this way, how many of you are here today out of unthinking habit? Congratulations, you are the grown-ups. Because you have a routine. You have a rhythm. And it's our routines and our rhythms in life that actually define us. Those are the things that actually define our lives. Uh, if, if you think about it. So if you have a routine that involves uh, you being here uh, each Sunday, then, then I, I think you're behaving in a grown-up fashion. You have achieved a routine. You don't have to think about it. You don't wake up at 7 a.m. every Sunday and have to decide. You're already moving. Uh, you have a routine. And, and that's what makes you successful and mature uh, in, in spiritual life. It's, a, it's rhythms, it's routines that generate and sustain maturity. Uh, and, may I say, it's what makes you a worthy model for everyone else uh, in the family. It's what you do routinely that really makes you a pattern to imitate for others. This is the, this is the holiday season. Holiday season, we have holiday events. We have holiday gatherings like family gatherings, uh, and uh, I've, I've lived long enough now uh, to see uh, this transition. When I was a kid, our family gatherings were hosted by, you know, the same person. We all, we all have that person. <clears throat> if we have a good ohana in our lives, you know, every Thanksgiving we go over to Tutu Edna's house, you know, and she hosts it, and so-and-so cooks the turkey, or the tofurkey, uh, if you're a vegetarian house, and, you know, by tradition. Um, and then, you know, and then time passes, uh, maybe we lose uh, some of our older uh, relatives, and then the next generation of adults take over, right? Uh, and it's a rite of passage. Well, now it's, um, you know, it's Cousin Philippa's uh, dinner to host or, or something like that. As kids, you get, you get served. You just kind of go and you just kind of, you have a nice meal and it's fun and games. And then as adults, 
you kind of own it, don't you? You become the carriers of the routine. In that instance, we call routine tradition, but it's the same thing, right? You are the one that sustains. You are the one that spreads uh, the Ohana spirit um, and sort of define that experience for everyone else. The real mature thing about gatherings is to own them, to take responsibility for them, to be the person who takes responsibility for the family or the group in some fashion. You're the host, you're the cook, you're the one who tends the group, you're the one that makes sure everybody gets there, um, or you lead the group uh, in some fashion. It's your group. Why? Because you've become the grown-up. And a lot of us have experienced that in our uh, families and extended families. It's easy to see uh, when, we, when we talk about holiday traditions like that, uh, how being the person who owns it, being the grown-up who makes it happen, um, makes you the model for the subsequent generations. If you do it, then the next generation will do it, right? You got to be a grown-up uh, to pull it off. That's how things get passed on. Okay, well, as Coley has so generously pointed out, this is a sermon series on rhythms for grown-ups. Um, it is sort of an appendage to a, a sermon series that we finished several weeks ago uh, on discipleship, which is defined as... Good. Discipleship is effortful growth. Uh, and so what we're taking a look at in this sermon series are the rhythms and routines that empower growth, that empower us to grow up, uh, to mature. Growing to spiritual maturity uh, creates in us grown-up virtues like, and we named some of those virtues in the first week of the series, responsibility, reliability, commitment, things like that. Um, one of the verses uh, that I always go to when I'm thinking about being a grown-up person of faith is from Ephesians 4, in which Paul talks about the mature body of Christ. This is, what, this is what the church, this is what the body of Christ looks like when it gets grown up. Uh, and he says, in, in that situation, everyone is doing their part. Everyone's doing the grown-up thing without having to be told to do it. And that's another thing that defines a grown-up, right? You do the right thing without mommy harping at you to do it. You've become uh, a grown-up. Uh, when we do the right thing without being told, when we own our experiences, when we own our rhythms and routines, uh, then we can become models of maturity for someone else. When I say the word grown-up, you probably have a, a picture of a certain kind of person in your head, and the reason you have that picture is because somebody has modeled it for you. We, are, we uh, receive our models for maturity uh, from other people. And I really, I really covet, I really desire there to be lots of models for maturity at Blue Water Mission. People owning it, people doing uh, the mature routines and rhythms in a way that model them for other people so that everyone can grow up. Everyone has the right model. So that's what we're about. Uh, we've taken a look at the routine of rest, uh, which is really important. Last week we took a look at the routine of prayer. And this week we're going to take a look at the routine of meetings. At meeting routinely. 
Now, there are few words in the English language that generate excitement, passion, and expectation like the word meeting. Come on. Meeting, yes. Announcements is a close number, too. Meetings and announcements. Do you feel the spirit surge? Meetings. How many of you love the meetings that you go to at work? Yeah, exactly. Um, meetings are, are boring. Meetings, you know, we might think that the meetings that we have in our life are necessary, but they are a necessary evil, are they not? They are a necessary evil at, at best. Uh, the thing is that the family of faith in the kingdom of God, of which uh, many of us are part, uh, is and always has been characterized by meeting together. Uh, we have always found it necessary. Now, in spite of that, some people do perceive it as a necessary evil. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I leave it up to you uh, to decide. Uh, I have noticed that many claim that it's this bit about meeting together in the kingdom of God that causes them to reject the life of faith. More than anything else, it seems to be meetings that turn people off to following Jesus. So we hear a lot, people say, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not into organized religion. Well, what does that mean? When you get right down to it, it means religion that requires meetings. People gather together. And that's, that's what people typically do not like about the quote-unquote uh, religious world. Uh, they say, my life with God is a personal thing. Meaning, foremost, that it does not require meetings. Um, and, you know, of course, life with God is a personal thing. Uh, but I think probably it does require some meetings for reasons that we're going to discuss. Uh, I have noticed that, that the number one most common statement, the number one most common slogan of people who once lived the life of faith but who now do not, people who have moved away from it or are fallen away from it, is something like, I got burned out by church. Any of you ever heard that before? Which essentially means I got burned out by meeting together with people. You know, you can put other labels on it. I got burned out by church programs or something like that. But, but what does this mean? It's like the burden of meetings just wore me out and by some logic stream, specified or otherwise, made me reject faith entirely. Meetings, depending on your perception, can be kind of, of deadly. I find it very rare that I hear someone say, I got burned out on Jesus. Jesus just turns me off. Nobody says that. Everybody likes Jesus. But I hear people say, I got burned out on church and therefore, I don't really follow Jesus' patterns anymore. Meetings, they're very potent for ill or for good, as it turns out. I also hear a lot uh, about the difficulty of fitting in at faith meetings. I love it in, in Stuart and Lori's uh, Advent sharing. Uh, they said, you know, we, it, it was a challenge to fit in here. How many of you have experienced that? You know why it's a challenge to fit in here? It's because it's such a diverse congregation. <laughs> no matter who you are, there's somebody next to you who's not like you. 
but that's a common experience. We're all in it together. Uh, but, you know, that's, that can feel very burdensome. And particularly if you are a quote-unquote non-religious person and you show up in a church, it boggles the mind that everybody, anybody would ever think Blue Water is a religious place. But you show up at a church and you feel like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know the routine. I don't really know the shtick. I don't, I'm not, I don't feel that I, I get the culture quite. And, and that can, there's a culture in meetings. And that can make you feel as if you don't fit in. That can make you feel pressure. A lot of people phrase it in terms of judgment. It can make you feel as if you're judged or people are looking at, are looking at you in a way that involves a measurement. And then there's, there's the chance that the faith meeting uh, you go to uh, something like the one that we're in, might be breathlessly boring. There's a chance. I know you've never experienced that here during a sermon, but there's a chance that meetings might be conducted in a way that, you know, anyway, they're fraught with peril, meetings. But here's a truism that I think is virtually ironclad. If meetings with other people of faith are not routine for you, if they are not rock-solid routine for you, then you will be immature. Period. You will be immature and, and you'll be stuck. You'll be stuck in your faith. You might believe in certain things, but you really won't be growing in them. They won't really be in motion in your life. That's how powerful I think meeting together is. Meetings are necessary as to why they're they are a necessary evil, well, I think that depends. I think that depends to their nature and, and what we bring to them. And I'd like to suggest two things in particular for your consideration this morning uh, where meetings are concerned. Number one, you must meet routinely with other people of faith. Uh, number two, you must meet maturely with other people of faith. Uh, when I say you must meet routinely, I, I mean that you must gather with other people of faith in a, in, a, in a rhythmic, steady, routine fashion. I know that the word gathering is sexier than the word meeting. And there was a temptation for me this morning to talk about routine gathering, which sounds a little more marketable. Um, but I use the word meeting because of the sense of routine that it conveys. I want it to sound a little bit like a chore because I'm trying to get a point across. So there you go. Uh, there's a caveat here. You don't want your life to be so full of meetings that there's no room for anything else, right? Uh, and I think that happens a lot like in our jobs. We, we go to four meetings a day and we don't have any time to actually get work done. And there can be a sense in which you go to so many Christian-y meetings that you don't have time to actually, you know, change the world. Uh, and that would, that would be terrible. But nonetheless, there has to be a rhythm, a routine, with nice space during your week for other important things. Another reason to make it routine is so that you figure out the rhythm that works for you and the sort of ministry that you're called to do. Uh, the second point, you must meet maturely. Your meetings, uh, meetings make you mature in ways that we're going to discuss, provided you are mature in your meetings. Provided that when you gather, you behave in a way that is maturing, that brings maturity to you. Uh, I, 
I think about the maturity shift in meetings, and I hold this up to you for consideration. Some people say, I would go to meetings if they were exciting. And I think by and large what we need to say is, meetings are exciting because we go. I'll just say that again. Some people say, I would go to meetings if they were exciting. And I think by and large we need to say, meetings are exciting because we go. I'm bringing the party, baby. Maybe not me, but I rely on you. We gather together. I want to put uh, images of two kinds of meetings in your head when I talk about routines. And uh, this is very simple. The large group meeting and the small group meeting. And I think that you need at least one of each uh, in your week or whatever unit of time. Uh, week is a good one. You need to have both kinds in your life. By large group meeting, I mean something like this, where the body, the larger body of faith that you're a part of gathers and manifests itself in some full fashion. Uh, the nice bit about gathering with, I don't know, you know, three, maybe we get 400 people at our large, largest uh, group meetings. Uh, you get a full palette of people. You get a full palette of diversity, a full palette of personalities, a full palette of perspectives, a full palette of giftings. If you come to a small group meeting at my house, you won't get the prophetic artists over here. You won't necessarily get, um, you know, the, the range of prayer ministry or the dancers or the greeting or, you know, there's stuff that you will miss. But when we come together, you can have the whole range. It is, it is the full buffet. Right? And if you have that many options in a routine fashion, you can be assured of always getting the item that you need for balanced nutrition. Right? And so some experience like this needs to be uh, part of, of your life. Also, no matter who you are, if you come to a large group meeting like this, you can meet someone who is quite like you. You'll meet a lot of people who are nothing like you. But you can be assured of meeting someone who is kind of like you. And then they can provide a model for you if they're grown up. So that brings us up together. Large group meetings, uh, really important. important. But then there are small group meetings. Uh, we have a lot of them at church. It's an endless variety of them. Some of them we call Ohana groups. Uh, we have the 10-week variety. We have a variety that just meets, you know, 50 weeks a year. Where you meet together in smaller groups, maybe, you know, seven, eight, 15, 20 people in homes or in offices or in a corner of the church office or something like that. And you get to know each other. You have specific relational involvement and intense ministry participation. Every meeting you are going to participate in an active and exposed way because it's small, right? You kind of, you kind of have to. And those are, are tremendous engines for growth and those are tremendous engines for relationship Right? partnership for Ohana, which is why we call them Ohana groups. You actually get to know people and they get to know you, which is pretty vital because you don't get very far in fellowship if you remain a stranger. And I, that sounds funny, but I know that some of you have been attending Blue Water for three years and you're still pretty much a stranger here. Right? Nobody really knows you. That's not because every single person here is unfriendly. It's because you haven't really invested in an Ohana group yet. That's why. Um, so you need both kinds. Almost all of the biblical accounts of kingdom life and ministry that we have in Scripture, all those accounts of Jesus' ministry in the early church, include mentions of both kinds of meetings. 
both the large group meeting and the small group meeting. Virtually every historical account that we have in the Bible and a lot of historical accounts that we have uh, from history, you have some sort of, you'd call it a church meeting and then some sort of smaller ministry meeting or discipleship group meeting as typified, say, by the life of Jesus. You know, he did a lot of large group ministry, but we know he hung out with, you know, 12 guys in particular, and especially three guys within that 12. He made space for large group stuff and small group stuff. That is the proper rhythm of kingdom growth. That's how he modeled it. And then we have a lot of information about the way the Apostle Paul constructed his ministry, and it's the same thing. He would plant churches, and then he would have his posse. And then he would raise up leaders in his posse and tell them to go start their posse. And that's how powerful ministers were developed. You have 20, 30, 40 of those in a group this size, and you're starting to grow. You're starting to spread uh, the kingdom of God on earth. Let's just state, uh, just to say it, that your faith life cannot be contained in just two meetings. I mean, that can't be all you do, right? You still have to be a witness at work. You still have to be the parent or be, you know, be the brother, be the sister, uh, be the faithful child, be the neighbor, all those other things that you have to do. So spiritual life is not just about meetings, as I said previously. Uh, what you do outside of your faith meetings is at least as important as what you do in them, but you have to have them. They are a necessary condition of growth. We have a few scriptures this morning. Let's just sort of speed through them and uh, yeah, let's reflect on them, give you something to chew on. And the first one, uh, maybe the most famous one on early Christian community, comes from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'll read verses 42 through 47. I noticed uh, that uh, Lauren Stewart had Acts 2 on their t-shirts. Their family was in matching t-shirts when they gave the Advent testimony this morning, which I think raises the bar for all subsequent... <laughs> Advent sharers. I mean, matching t-shirts, people. Yeah, 242. The scripture on the t-shirts happens to match the sermon. I, it, it's probably your, spirit, your administrative gift, right? And not so much as anything about, yeah? Anyway, I'd appreciate if uh, you all are as organized as they are. So what this is, Acts chapter 2, is a description of, of Christian life immediately post-Jesus. So Jesus has just left the earth and uh, left a bunch of uh, these uh, crazy guys in charge. And they just kind of get started with the kingdom of God. And the story picks up, Acts chapter 2, uh, as more and more people join the faith movement. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, Greek, koinonia, Assembly and sharing is what that word means. To the breaking of bread, meals together, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, here's the word, together and had everything in common, seriously together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts every day, dang. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they had Ohana groups, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, to the whole church daily, those who are being saved. 
uh, Sotsod restored. Uh, so just an exciting passage, breaking of bread uh, in, uh, like together, this sort of this, this indication, this implication in the passage that when they got together like this, they, break, they, they kind of broke bread, they shared some sort of meal, as we will share later today. But then they met in homes, and they really had meals. They had Matthew parties, which is a topic that has been much discussed at Blue Water lately. Um, you know, you, you share a meal, you get to know each You share life uh, when you share a, a meal together. So they had large groups, they had small groups, they had very supernatural large group meetings because when they came together in large groups, everybody benefited from the chief apostles' ministries, which were more mature, a little more powerful than the other people's, at least at the beginning. The word together is repeated in this passage a number of times. It's stressed in the way it's set up. Meetings being togetherness. Um, and they held everything in common. They took togetherness very seriously. And out of togetherness came growth. When the family does family well, it always reproduces. Uh, what strikes me about this passage most, I said it was a very early account of life uh, in, in the faith movement, uh, is that th this is really a moment in history in which the Jesus movement was being invented by the guys who inherited Jesus' uh, ministry directly from Jesus. And, and they basically had to decide in this moment of history what the movement was going to look like, right? Jesus, poof, he's gone. And the apostles are, you know, I see them standing and around, standing in a circle saying, now what? <laughs> like, all right, we're supposed to take over the world, according to Jesus. We're supposed to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Has anybody here ever been to the ends of the earth? Does anybody here have, you know, an updated passport? You've been to Yemen? That's the end of the earth? You have just offended every Yemeni listening to the podcast. Well, these were just a bunch of simple guys in, in Jerusalem, right? And they had to decide how to change the world. And apparently, the first thing they decided was, well, we have to, we have to do meetings. That's where they went with this, right? Why? Well, because there was something about it that Jesus had modeled for them. How did Jesus change our lives? Well, he, he brought us together. Okay, let's do together. Let's do, somebody write that down. Somebody write that down. James, put it down. Together. And the rest is history, quite, quite literally, right? This was the first thing they invented when the Jesus movement was invented. That's how, that's how key uh, it is gathering, joining. And when they joined together, lo and behold, it created such gravity that other people joined with them. And 2,000 years later, uh, we are doing it with more momentum than ever. This pattern of gathering remained important as things progressed in the spread of the faith. And almost every epistle we have from the other major leaders of the faith during those early years says something about meeting together. Uh, I like this, uh, this passage from uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that, spur one another on. Some of your translations will actually say, let us consider how we may compete with one another in the doing of good deeds. There's this idea that, you know, we're really, we're really 
pressing on one another so that we get done what we need to get done. That's the idea. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, as you see the end approaching. You know, just again, this potent, fundamental logic. We are going to build one another up. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to force one another to get this job done. And the way we're going to do it is to meet together and not get lazy about that as some people do. It's going to be an important element in our routine. Almost every epistle, as I say, has has something to do uh, with this. Really, really key. Uh, One thing I also notice is this, uh, you know, this acknowledgement that a lot of people who get involved in faith fall out of the habit of meeting together, which tells me that from the very beginning, it's been hard to gather regularly. It's been hard to get your butt out of bed and to go to church. From the very beginning, that's been true. And so we have to make a point to stress the importance of meeting. Why is it difficult uh, to come together in, in, in meetings. And I, and I think the reason, and follow me on this, I think the reason it's difficult to come to meetings is because meetings are where the people are. And that makes them difficult to be at. You know, let me speak now in my capacity as introvert-in-chief. Um, Or, um, I like to put it this way, it can seem easy to love Jesus. It's always difficult to love people as Jesus did. You know? And that's another way to phrase, like, nobody gets burned out on Jesus, but tons of people get burned out on church. Jesus is easy to love. Uh, But loving people like Jesus loved them, forget about it. That's challenging. That requires growth. That requires being a grown-up. Boom. There you have it. All right. Uh, We, uh, it's important to meet together. It it started out important uh, to meet together. And as time progressed, uh, the early leaders of the church, they, they began, you know, just waxing philosophical, just meditating on why it's so important in the different ways Uh, The guy who wrote most about this uh, was the Apostle Paul. He's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, as it it turns out. Here's a a verse from Ephesians 4. I already quoted from this chapter earlier, verses 15 and 16. Paul is giving advice to the Ephesians, and really the book of Ephesians is about growing up. And this is what he says in this instance. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. In other words, if this is working well, then the body will join firmly and it will mature itself. It will do what it needs to do uh, to grow. Building itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, this is one of Paul's favorite themes. We get together and the important thing is that everybody pulls. Everybody does their grown-up chore or they do the chore of growing up. It's going to be one of the two. 
And that is how the body of Christ becomes the mature body of Christ. That's how we get it done. Again, he picks that up in lots of, uh, lots of different passages in his letters. To the Corinthians, he says, To each one of you, a supernatural gift of the Spirit has been given for the common good. And he says in that passage, each one must be done. All of you have a contribution to make. And as soon as you grow old enough to make that contribution, you have to be doing it. Otherwise, you're actually handicapping uh, the body. I see this a lot as someone who runs uh, you know, a, a faith community. Uh, you know, nominally, I'm supposed to be the senior leader around here. Take a moment, chuckle. Um, what, what, I, what I've noticed over the years of doing this is that some people bring the right attitude to community, and then there are some people that don't, and, 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 and you need to be careful with them. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, there is a type of, of Christian in this country today that, that makes a habit of floating from church to church. Um, you know, and, and there can be good reasons to leave churches. There can be bad reasons to leave churches. Like, there, I think there are good and bad churches, let's be honest. Um, but the type of person that just switches frequently, and, and, and what they've, they've gotten good at is showing up into community for a short time, getting everything they can get from that community, that sort of excitement, and then moving on once the burden of community becomes too great for them. Right? Uh, and the problem for me is that I try to have a very welcoming and empowering community. So if you show up and you jump in and you ask for my time, I'll probably figure out some way to give you, uh, you know, time and attention or to get people to give you time or attention because it's kind of our job. And then you leave after a short amount of time and repeat the process somewhere else. You have not become mature, you have not invested, you have not been a model of grown-upness for anybody around here. So you have been a taker, right? And it's hard for me to filter you out before the fact. And this has happened at Blue Water hundreds of times. Why? Because Blue Water is a fairly exciting place to be. And it can be a challenging place to stay. The, the things that make it exciting are the very things that make it challenging, right? And so we often fall victim to, well, I mean, I don't mean to be unkind, but time wasters. Right? I fall victim to that. So part of my wisdom is like, well, actually, you know, I'll give you half an hour and then come back to me in two years. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it's going. Those people, I think, are thirsty for powerful spiritual experiences. Yay but they're living life in a way that actually destroys communities because they take important resources from communities without actually growing them. And the reason that happens a lot in America is because there are so many churches and there's this consumer ethic now that you get to shop around a lot. And if, you know, it gets a little cumbersome here, just go buy another product, trade in, you know. And old days, there weren't so many churches, so that was not a challenging. I don't mean to judge anyone ever, you know, about anything, but I'm just saying that's a difficult dynamic because it's an immature one, right? And we need to be grown-ups about meeting, about gathering, about community. All right, off that particular soapbox.
you don't want to be a Jesus follower who has no group commitment. You don't want to be a Jesus follower who does not do meetings routinely and rhythmically. You don't want to be that person. Uh, but neither do you want to be the person who shows up only part-time, right? So, you know, you catch church uh, when you can. You know, you catch Ohana group uh, when you can. I know that you're busy, but you don't want to live life like that. You want to be the follower who shows up and who shows up when you show up, if you know what I mean. Um, meetings have a purpose, and if no one else remembers what the purpose is, then you should remember what the purpose is. You should participate, you should interact, and you should serve when you show up. Right? When you show up and participate, I mean, don't, don't be the person who sort of stands in the door frame and observes. <laughs> be the person who sits in the front row, where all the spiritual giants sit. Um, throw, throw in, right? Own it, right? Because that's what grown-ups do. And you may, you may still be maturing, but, you know, many of you are a place now where you can own it, right? You could take responsibility for something, even if it's just the person next to you. Take responsibility for the experience of the person next to you in church today. That in and of itself would be an enormously grown-up thing to do. Uh, so that's what I mean by participate. Uh, interact. Uh, the thing about meetings is that's where the people are, uh, and so you should interact with them. Turn to the left, turn to the right, you will probably see a human or someone who looks suspiciously like a human. Uh, interact with them uh, before you leave, uh, e even if it's just an encouraging greeting. Uh, you know, you could pray for them. You could get a flash prophetic word for them. You could give them uh, a hug. You give them some aloha. If they're new, you could get them some information from the greeting team and all sorts of things that you could do. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to interact. And I'm pretty sure you can all do it because I can do it. And I am more introverted than pretty much anyone here. That's how the business gets done through interaction. And then serve. You know, you have to figure out a way to serve when you come together. Uh, you know, I. I go to any number of meetings during the week. I'm not the chief servant in all of those meetings, and neither do you have to be. Um, but figure out some way to bring something, to own the meeting. You're there. It's your family. Look around and figure something out. Um, while I was thinking about this uh, this week, I thought of my first marital spat. This happened right after Sony and I got married. Uh, we were uh, crazy kids. We were... Uh, we had just turned 24 years old. Uh, we got married, and uh, three weeks after we got married, we moved across the country, moved to Chicago, and started this grad school program. I started this grad school program, and we looked around South Chicago for a living church. We could not find one, so one day we drove across town to this good church on the north side that we heard of. We showed up. It was a, it was a fine meeting. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is a decent church. You know, well, we'll continue to find the right home, uh, the right church home for us, and then as I was about to leave, Sonia ran up to me and said, okay, I've signed us up for the auditions. And I said, what auditions? Well, after church today, the worship pastor is doing auditions for the worship band, and we're playing in you know, like 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. I was like, are we planning to attend this church long term? You know, 
Clearly, she was in a different place than I was. And who has observed, if you know uh, my wife and I, that Sony has a little more social energy than I do? Anyone? Let me pick that up. So she's like, yeah, you know, I, I have put down roots. <laughs> uh, we are auditioning for the worship team. Uh, we are going to be, we're going to be leaders here uh, in this mix. Shut up, we'll get to that later. We don't, we don't really need an I told you so at this point. Anyway, so that was our first marital spat because I was like, we just got married, we just moved across the country, we don't know where we're attending church, I am just starting like one of the most competitive grad school programs in the country and, and you want me you know, to be a worship leader. And she's like, yeah, I found you a guitar to borrow here. Um, um, and so, you know, uh, the nice part of the story is that's the only marital spat that we have had in 24 years. Um, so I went up there, we did the audition, uh, and we immediately joined the worship team, and then we stayed there for four years, and then we planted a church out of that church on the south side. And what Sonia was pointing out is that when was this three weeks ago, I was actually, I was the main speaker at uh, a ministry uh, conference retreat in Chicago at that church. You know, it's become a big part of our life. So the story has a happy ending in spite of my misgiving. Sonia gets snaps. Here's why I tell the story. It's because while she might have communicated better with her husband, she did a, she did a smart thing. She was like, I like this place. And without breathing, went from that to how shall we serve? because she wanted to own it, right? And not because she felt a lot of guilt and responsibility, but because she perceived opportunity. And because Sonia is really good at music, that was the thing uh, that was obvious to her. And uh, she's been a, a good model for me in that uh, extent. But don't tell her because she gets cocky. <laughs> I think my sermon here is done now, thank you. It's almost done. I use the slogan for myself because, you know, I'm not a super relational person because I'm a person of very finite meeting resources uh, within myself. I use a slogan, and my slogan is feed, weed, and seed. Feed, weed, and seed. Feed, when you go to a meeting, get what you need. I'm often in charge of meetings, but I'm still feeding. You know, what I'm doing is like, you share a testimony today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed on that because stories are the currency of faith in the kingdom of God. And I just, anytime I can hear a story, anytime I can be there when somebody else prays in faith, really that's how I feed. I'm like a vampire that way. Creepy. <laughs> and then there's weeding. You know, I feed and I weed. Every time I get together with other people of faith, uh, I, I'm thinking, well, you know, is there something that I need to get rid of? If you're stuck in life, you know, with the sin or with missed opportunity or with confusion, then use the people around you to help you with that, you know. So even in these services, you will very often see people praying for me. And it's gotten for me now that I, I don't even have to ask necessarily. Someone will just come up to me and say, yeah, uh, you know, I, I feel you had a hard week this week. Let me pray for you. And we're getting out stuff that needs to get out, even if it's just kind of like, you know, fatigue or doubt or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm improving. That's yours now. Um, and then seed. I'm, I'm 
I'm sowing seed, I'm influencing people as much as I can every time we get together because we're getting together and that's a very important thing to do. Whoever you are, wherever you sit, you should be positively influencing the people around you today in some fashion. If you just do it as it comes to you, it does not have to be fancy. It can be encouraging, right? It can be asking an important question. Hey, what's God been saying to you recently? Hey, how can I help with that? We've talked about a lot of good techniques. It does not have to be fancy, but you have to do it. And if everybody's do it, then the whole part, joined together, strong in every ligament, will grow itself up in Christ. I guarantee you, I guarantee you it will work. Feed weed and seed. As a rule of thumb, your position with respect to meetings is the easiest indicator of how mature you are in faith. In other words, there are a number of easy indicators, but maybe the easiest one, the easiest one to go to as a down and dirty measure of how you're doing in faith is for me to ask, well, what's your meeting routine? If it's irregular, you're having a very difficult time growing up. I can pretty much guarantee that. Pretty much guarantee it. Um, if you own your meetings, if you're not, not, not only meeting routinely, but really participating, interacting, and serving in them, if you're doing feed, weed, and seed when you get together, then you're probably a grown-up. It's pretty much all I need to know, you know to form some sort of estimation of, of how you're doing. Uh, not to judge you, but, you know, I'm a pastor, and my job is to help people grow up, so those estimations are valuable to me. Um, if you merely get served at the gatherings you go to, if you're that child at Thanksgiving who's just in it for the pumpkin pie, uh, then you're probably caught in between, right? You're, you're not dying, but you're not growing up either. Um, we have so many different gatherings at Blue Water Mission. Every Sunday we're here. Uh, you should be here as well. There are Ohana groups. Uh, there are lots of ministry team meetings. I, I don't have time to go through them now. We are wrapping up. There are holiday gatherings uh, that you could own, that you could make the most of. You know, prayer meetings. You can start meeting with people if you want to. Just invite some folks to get together and see if it becomes routine. But you have to do it. You have to. It's the grown-up thing to do. Let's pray. I pray, Father, for a spirit of fellowship, for a spirit of togetherness, for koinonia uh, to come uh, upon us today. No matter how diverse we may be, no matter how mature or immature, we want to be growing together. We want to be together and growing. And we put that out there together this morning with a heart prayer, Lord. A heart prayer. Uh, empower it, Father, as only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.